0: You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Vera Bittner, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association.
1: Today we're talking with Dr. Samuel Gidding of the Nemours Cardiac Center at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware. Dr. Gidding is professor of pediatrics at the Jefferson Medical College, and I had the pleasure of working with Sam in Chicago many years ago when we would refer many of our pediatric lipid patients to him for treatment. So our pediatric community is amongst the most obese and underactive community in the nation, and obviously the incidence of hypertension and diabetes has been sort of epidemic. We're all worried about trying to integrate preventative cardiology into our practices. And it seems to me that those issues in children are even more problematic because even in adults, they say that willpower has a half-life of two weeks and it's soluble in alcohol. So, (laughs) So, Sam, I'll start by asking you, you know, at what age does atherosclerosis begin and do we have the same issues in terms of cardiovascular risk factors in children that we think about in adults?
0: Well, the very earliest cardiovascular lesions actually are present in early adolescence and late childhood, now these are fatty streaks. They're not the kind of lesions that cause heart attacks. but as kids get older, those fatty streaks turn into the types of lesions that do cause heart attacks, fibrous plaques, and vulnerable plaques, and occlusive plaques, so that those of us doing pediatric cardiology believe that if we can prevent the development of the fatty streak from turning into the fibrous plaque that that will greatly reduce the likelihood of people having heart attacks as adults.
1: Do you have any thoughts on why there seems to be this explosion of hypertension and dyslipidemia in children? And, uh, of course, is it all related to obesity or lifestyle?
0: Well, the explosion is related to obesity and lifestyle.
1: I think now kids
0: are substantially fatter than they used to be. They uh, get much less exercise, and this is translated into significant overweight, And so these kids have the, really what used to be thought of as the adult phenotype, the the low HDL, the high triglycerides, the insulin resistance. I'm actually involved now in a national study of type 2 diabetes in kids at 15 different sites. And somebody had told me, actually, Alan, when you and I were talking together that I'd be dealing with type 2 diabetes on an everyday basis. I wouldn't have believed them, but it's here and uh, these kids need substantial support and particularly they need cardiovascular risk prevention to avoid getting heart attacks in their 30s and
1: 40s. So you mentioned lack of exercise. I have often thought about how I've raised my own kids, and when we were children, we would ride our bikes across town at 9 o'clock at night and never worried about being abducted. And I think we blame the TV and the uh, Xbox for the lack of activity, but do you think it is the lack of activity from these technological advancements, or is it that our parents are more worried about the children in an era where we would rather have them where we can see them?
0: Well, I think it's interesting because people have moved to the suburbs and they keep their kids inside more. So I always thought people moved to the suburbs so their kids could go out and play. So I think actually one thing we have to do is get over some of this kind of paranoia created by the media about These risks, I mean, are they real? And is there a much better health benefit in your kid actually getting out and playing than the relatively rare occurrence of some of these other kinds of activities? And so I think that this kind of concern is actually probably misplaced with regard to the health of kids. And I actually have always believed that if more people who are interested in health actually were outside, there'd be less people who would abduct kids on the streets. So, But getting away from that idea is just the notion that what actually is a healthy model for a kid, and I think what people have gotten away from, for example, is when I grew up, a nutritious food was like a fruit or a vegetable because it had vitamins and minerals. Now people think of kids' foods as hot dogs, snacks, all sorts of things which are unhealthy and not really associated with a kid's well-being or long-term health interests. And so the advertising of these types of foods has been extraordinarily effective in really changing public perception of what is appropriate for children, whether it's exercise, being able to play outside, safety. All these things have dropped out of the idea of what's appropriate for a kid, and they've been replaced by fear of abduction, consideration of kids of foods which are nutritious is so somehow not being kids' foods that are appropriate for a growing child. And all these kinds of cultural events contribute to the obesity epidemic. But the main thing is simply that kids just don't get out and play a large chunk of the day. They substitute for this playtime, time indoors, time video games, all sorts of other activities which don't generate energy and
1: increase the amount of time for snacks. So I always get the question on my adult lipid presentations about when should children be checked. So should every child be checked and if so, at what age? And if not, every child who should have their lipids checked?
0: Well, for sure, if you have a positive family history of either very high cholesterol, let's say over 240 in one parent or a parent with premature heart disease, then the lipids need to be checked. It's controversial whether or not there should be universal screening of cholesterol for children. Right now, basically every other risk factor blood pressure obesity tobacco use are all checked lipids are not but i suspect that in the future this will be addressed by national guidelines and that kids will be getting their cholesterols checked as well probably around 10 years of age
1: so if the parents have familial hypercholesterolemia or some such thing, obviously we screen all the children. As far as parents with diabetes or metabolic syndrome, would that stimulate you to look for the lipids in the kids? And if so, would you add anything beyond lipids on your kids? Yeah, chest? well, that's a
0: really good point. I think that if you have one risk factor, you ought to measure the lipids. So a child, because multiple risk factors, is associated with accelerated atherosclerosis. For example, if a child has hypertension, you know their lipids because if they have high cholesterol and hypertension, they have two risk factors. If you're obese, you have a good chance of having the metabolic syndrome. Therefore, you ought to have your cholesterol checked. So any child that has a risk factor should have his lipids checked.
1: I think a lot of adult physicians tend to think of the normal lipid values as what we would see in uh, adults. But what are the normal values for children?
0: Well, actually, I think that's kind of interesting because if you go back to the Peds panel of 1992, those actually are the now the normal lipid values for uh, adults, where an LDL actually it says 110 has now become, or well now it's 100 for adults has become the borderline for adults, whereas it used to be 130 and 160. So I would actually say that the kids' numbers have been right all along, and that basically for a kid, an LDL between 100 and 130 is borderline, and over 130 is high. One thing that's different is we really don't treat kids unless their LDLs are way up there, 160 or one with other risk factors, or 190 in a familial hypercholesterolemia situation.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Lipid Illuminations on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, your host. Our guest today is Dr. Samuel Gidding, and we're discussing the importance of implementing guidelines and evaluating children for early risk factors for the development of atherosclerosis. So, Sam, once you do identify a child who has dyslipidemia, let's just take familial hypercholesterolemia out of the picture because we would generally be treating them early with a statin or a bile acid resin, and maybe I'll come back to that. But what about the child with metabolic syndrome? How do you approach the treatment?
0: Well, I think the first thing is if a child has metabolic syndrome and it's related to obesity, the first thing you want to do is make sure that, see if they have insulin resistance and make sure they don't have type 2 diabetes as well. Then I think what I try and get start early on is to get kids oriented towards a weight maintenance strategy. In my experience, if you can get a kid just to keep their weight exactly the same, particularly as they're growing, that the blood pressure tends to straighten out a little bit and the lipids can sometimes improve as well. If you can get gradual weight loss, even just a pound or two a month over the course of three to six months, you can generally get a lot of clinical improvement and get away from more dangerous scenario. Obviously, this is not the world's easiest task, but I think you have to approach it, these kids, with achievable goals. I think another big mistake that is often made is, I mean, sometimes I just can't believe how big some of these kids are, but is to be positive. I think you're giving the family lots of negative messages. You could get diabetes. You're going to have an early heart attack. Your cholesterol is already screwed up. Your blood pressure's already high. A lot of these kids can easily get depressed with these messages. You really have to come after these kids with a message that empowers them to start taking control of their weight and their other risk factors to see if they can even just maintain their weight. And i found that just weight maintenance, learning how to maintain your weight and will get your blood pressure squared away, a lot of times will straighten out your lipids. It won't make them perfect, but it'll make them better and get you away from a situation where you feel compelled to treat them. It is important to remember that these kids still, particularly if they're younger, still really only have the very earliest stages of atherosclerosis, fatty streaks and things like that. So I do believe that if you can get them straightened out with lifestyle early on, you can still have some effective atherosclerosis prevention in the early stages of the disease.
1: Well, let's delve into your lifestyle strategy a little bit because I have fond memories when you were here in Chicago of sending you families and they'd go into a kitchen and talk about how to cook and all these other things. So that's something that you know we don't focus on as much in the adult population and probably we should. So can you tell us a little bit when you have a child with metabolic syndrome, let's say a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old with metabolic syndrome, how do you approach it? Okay,
0: so I think... We have certain rules, so I try and keep it simple. So the first rule is an hour of physical activity a day, and that can be moderate activity. It doesn't have to be intense activity. And I stress to families that this is a weight maintenance strategy, that you will not lose weight by exercising, but it will make it a lot easier for you to maintain your weight. If you're going to exercise to lose weight, you have to do about two hours of activity with some intensity, and most of these kids won't do that. However, just an hour a day, particularly have them go outside at a time when they're otherwise bored and will be snacking or binge eating becomes extremely important. The second thing we emphasize is getting some structure into the diet. And so the rule number two is you can put food in your mouth four times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and one snack. Most kids put food in their mouth anywhere from six to seven times a day. The next rule is first and no second. So you can fill your plate, but you can't take seconds. Another rule is no more than one glass of a sugar-containing beverage a day. So that's all juice, all soda, all Gatorade, all drinks. No more than one glass a day that's a sugar-containing beverage. So that's eight ounces. And then uh, have a high-fiber breakfast is extremely important. So we talked to the kids about fiber, about how the fact that eating a high-fiber breakfast will limit the amount of food you eat later in the day and get you off to a good start. So those are the major rules. Oh, and there's one other key rule is know your weight. So the kids should be weighing themselves on some regular basis, whether it's every day, every other day, once a week, and they should respond to their weight by adjusting their caloric intake to keep their weight the same. So they know their weight, and then they eat less or adjust their total intake to keep their weight the same because kids are going to go out, they're going to have parties and this and that. What I'd like them to do is be able to get on the scale, say, okay, I'm one pound up. I'm going to look at my basic daily eating and cut back until I get that pound off, and then I can go back about my business. So work on a very short cycle of weight management or weight control and just get the kids empowered in a positive way so they can keep their weight the same. I'll say, so I'll give them grades. If they keep their weight the same, they get a B. If they lose a pound or two every month, they get an A. If they lose faster than that, they get a C because all those kids will have a bounce back. And then if they gain weight, obviously they get an F. So I try and get this structure going. I try and find out what foods they like to eat. I try and fit those foods into that structure. So they continue to eat a lot of what they're currently eating but get it into a structure that allows them to maintain their weight. A good example is so if a kid really likes Cinnamon Toast Crunch, for example, well, I let them have that as a snack rather than as breakfast. They can have quicker oatmeal squares for breakfast which taste about the same but have oat fiber. Cinnamon Toast Crunch with milk is 160 calories a serving, which is half the calories they would get at a snack, plus they get the milk, plus they get the vitamins. So in the afternoon, they get the cereal they want. In the morning, they get something that has fiber that hopefully will control their appetite. So try and get across the message about the caloric balance. So I'll ask them, well, if you drink a Coke, how many miles do you have to go to walk off the Coke Well, the answer is a mile and a half for a can and two and a half for a 20-ounce bottle. And when they start to get that perception of the balance, that's kind of an entry point to counsel about weight maintenance.
1: Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well on the east side of the country. Thank you for listening to our interview with Dr. Samuel Gidding.
0: Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.